Am I Will Ferrell or am I the other guy? John C. Riley. Uh, I, I, know I don't know. Before anyone had it, I know John C. Riley is. I'm the, you answered incorrectly. The answer is false. I am Thanos and Gandalf at the same time. Yeah, I'm like a bunch of different like gorillas mixed together, like a, so, like a chimp. Um, our topic for this week, viewers, is Squidward. We're gonna rank Squidward's most handsome animation from fucking Patty Thigh. I Just one I might be biased, but Squidward. if I can interject, I I'm biased to the um, yeah. the. Let's actually do this. Do this. What are you going to say? I'm biased to the the new movie that's coming out with the 3D Squidward uh, because that looks like a great movie. Personally, I think it'll be uh, on the run. It's an insult to SpongeBob, but great animation. My favorite Squidward animation. Do you think it was influenced by Into the Spider Verse and just like people trying something different? Um, no. <laughs> SpongeBob has been doing weird shit like that for the last couple of years. Like their last movie was kind of like a 3D CGI animation with like real people. Like they were doing like the Space Jam approach with SpongeBob, and it didn't work then, but they made enough money to do it again, I guess. And whatever. Um, Handsome Squidward is overrated. I think the bold and brash is the coolest look of Squidward, you know? The, the bold and brash Squidward that you have hung up on your wall. Yeah, I mean it's a it's an art staple at this point. It's more influential than Da Vinci. I just feel like people don't really. This is what's weird about Squidward. This is the weird thing about Squidward is that he's an octopus, and so many people don't realize this. So when Steven Hillenburg, creator, oh, yeah, that's true, was making the show, he thought it would be weird to call him Octoword, so they called him Squidward. Yeah, and that instead doesn't of flow right. Instead of making the, scare, the character a squid, they're like, he's an octopus named Squidward. <laughs> what? I mean... That's dumb. His parents are probably uh, were like, this would be a funny joke if we uh, just completely fucked him over for his whole life. That's probably why he's depressed. Squidward's just... I really feel... What I find awesome about Spongebob is as you grow up watching Spongebob you relate to Spongebob a lot and you still might, but as you get older, you really like Squidward resonates with you so much that I really wish I wasn't here right now. Button that he wears. It's yeah. just like, yeah, that's me. That's a hundred percent. me. I'm bald with a big nose and I'm mediocre at musical instruments. I am Squidward tentacles. <laughs> From what I can gather, uh, and all the, the various research that I've done and don't quote me on sources. Don't ask me for sources. Uh, is is that Squidward is the first Tumblr girl? And really? <laughs> yeah, the first Tumblr girl, quirky and sad, and you know, talks about music. Yeah. I've never been on Tumblr, so that's nah, you know. You're actually, you're actually kind of onto something. Um, what have you been up to in the last couple of days? So I, I talk to you every day, but we don't talk in like a professional sense like this for the um, lovely professional. Here. Yeah. <laughs> as professional as we'll ever get I um yeah at least between we, us you know, I wish people probably aren't going to see it we might eventually bring video back but it's just so much easier doing audio you just hear our lovely deep voices instead yeah um, I'm rocking a handlebar mustache 
Ryan has gone through many hair changes since we last had an episode, but you've never, you've only been on camera once, so it doesn't really matter. They don't really have much frame of reference. Exactly. They don't know what I look like, and that's how I want to keep it. Um, Dude, this week, something really magical happened to me, and we all have these movies that we just haven't watched yet that are like iconic and classic, and I feel like I have a shockingly large amount of them for someone who is as opinionated as I am. But... I recently got into Studio Ghibli, or Ghibli, or whatever the fuck you want to call it. I call it Studio Ghibli, okay? I'm from Ohio. Like, I, I grew up in Ohio. I can call it Studio Ghibli. I specifically am very into the Miyazaki movies lately. Have you, like, what's your take on this? Like, have you, you've, have you seen Miyazaki movies? Have you gotten into this craze, these Japan movies? Yeah, I'm a big oh. fan of Japan movies. Uh <laughs> You're a big uh, fan of Japan. Yeah, big like, fan God, of Japan God, movies. Godzilla. Uh, uh, that Mario movie was great. Um, and no, and Ghibli. Yeah, I'm year, a big fan. Sometime this year, I like finally was like, I got to watch Spirited Away. Um, and I really, really liked it. Uh, and then in the past, like, two weeks I picked up my Ghibli marathon again and having since I've watched Spirited Away three times I've loved it all the more each time started studying Miyazaki as a director and respecting him so much like, I really do think he's a mastermind of what he does he, just everything about what he does and I've watched Howl's Moving Castle I've watched My Neighbor Totoro and Princess Mononoke which they're all just What's, this is my biggest testament to his movies, is that they're very alive, which is the literal definition of animation, to bring life to something, right? And it's like, Miyazaki, it's funny how serious we get when we were talking about ball sacks like five minutes ago. Miyazaki, I think, understands in the truest sense what animation is supposed to be, and therefore what film is supposed to be. Because uh, his characters and his worlds are so instantaneously lovable and more importantly, relatable. I feel like his films like show you yourself, you know, and like that's what great content is supposed to do. Like really makes you reflect. And I have never had feelings like I've had while watching his movies. I watched Totoro yesterday and it brought me back to my brother and I, who was a younger brother, being in our children, being imaginative and seeing the world through a, ch- a child's eye. And the fact that this old ass man from Japan is old ass man from Japan. Go down to Japan. That he's able to do this. I'm just kind of mesmerized by it. I want to talk a little bit about this. I just think it deserves our fucking attention because these movies are awesome. I took a whole bunch of acid before watching the movie and then the movie ended and I realized, oh man, Hunter, you're not on acid. Miyazaki's just a genius. <laughs> this movie is crazy. So, yeah. That's my opinion. Um, I, I want to bring up something that I thought of while you were talking um, in that <laughs> it, it's related. So I'm not just like jumping off of jumping the gun, no, jumping the shark. I talked for so long. You're like, yeah, I just had a lot of time to reflect while you were speaking. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about uh, what I, what I ate today, which is not much, but um, no, the, the one thing that I am reminded of with animation is that it's, it's anything you want it to be because with film um 
you're kind of you can be somewhat limited in what you are able to show on screen without it just devolving into a CGI fest, and then that that comes with um, a, just a huge budget and uh, you know time crunch. But with animation, it's kind of um, especially with Miyazaki, it's it's just such a different feeling, especially for a western a westerner um, like both of us. Oh. I think that's important to say too. The context of, of watching these movies, whether you grew up with them or whether you get introduced to them in adult age, is the influence of Eastern culture, namely Japan and Japanese culture. They are there's a lot of foreign intricacies. It's in, kind of polarizing. Um, I I like that about it though because it almost builds to the fantastical nature of the world man like, it, yeah and it paints japan in a different picture for a westerner uh for sure it makes it seem like the most amazing thing on the most amazing place on the planet and like i just don't i wonder how it is for people who grew up in different parts of japan i mean a lot of miyazaki's japanese influence is usually more like rural japan and like farmland japan like you know fuji and things which like is nature. And, beautiful but yeah um no no it's great it's just funny because it's like for me it just it builds to this fantastical place like princess mononoke like i had so much to say about that film like princess mononoke is an example where i'm like this film's iconic this like defined what fantasy is to me like it felt like a perfect marriage between like the legend of zelda series and like something tolkien like i really well, yeah breath I, of the I, wild is influenced by mononoke for yeah, sure yeah. i mean and like pokemon is influenced by totoro like i mean the, it the, well like the boar in mononoke is I mean, Ganon's form of a boar, you know, that is also Ganon's, um, his look is kind of influenced by that as well. Like the boar and the forest and nature overtaking. It's incredibly influential from like, and it didn't really get mainstream popularity until recent years with Spirited Away. Really, I mean, that one might be my favorite. I, I can't really pick. Uh, I, really I would say I, I, the most filmic one is probably Spirited Away, and like that one's super ambitious. And I, I just I don't know what my favorite is. Princess Mononoke, I really love. That's the one I could like rewatch over and over. My neighbor Totoro is probably the most joyful fucking experience ever. If I ever become a fucking moron. Ryan, if I ever slip and fall and hit my head and decide one day I'm going to have children, that's the first movie I'm going to show them. That's legally binding. So yeah, if you're ever if you ever have um, dumb enough to do that, yeah. I'm ever stupid enough to put a kid. That, in his that's legally binding, and uh, it's on the internet now. In an hour, it's fine. So it's fine. I just Miyazaki movies are special, and I really do think he's a master of his craft. And like, to, I think you bring an interesting point on animation. Just lifts the ceiling of what we're able to do. And like, yeah. you see that with other directors too. Remember Wes Anderson? Yeah, you ever heard of him? Fucking fantastic, Mr. Fox in Isle of Dogs is everything I love about Wes Anderson in terms of his filmic directing style. I mean, obviously, there's different tiers to Wes Anderson. There's like. You know, there's Moonrise and there's Royal Tenenbaums, and then you have your goofier stuff like Life Aquatic and your super. I, I, I feel like the thing that's the common denominator with Wes Anderson, other than other than his symmetry, is how he likes to move and edit and pace 
You feel like you're watching synchronized swimming, whether it's the flow of the dialogue or the blocking of the actor or the camera, right? And when you can do that in animation, he has full control. Like the reason I love, I mean, Fantastic Mr. Fox is arguably more iconic and it's great. I prefer Isle of Dogs because it's like so clear that every little instinct has so much thought behind it. And frankly, it literally does. I mean, not just for the director. I mean, it takes like eight months. It took eight months to do a two minute scene in that film. Uh, but like, you really can see what some, like some directors are meant for animation, man, because their full vision can come to life if they're willing to take their style and turn it into something we've never seen before. So I it's, feel like, you know, that, that's, that's what I love about Wes Anderson making those kind of, those kind of movies. It's unapologetically them with like Miyazaki and Anderson and uh, what are some other actors, uh, directors that we can, I don't know. Tim Burton, Tim Burton. Tim Burton is also very iconic and like, funny that we're naming naming people who are extremely auteur, right? Like if you show me 30 seconds of a Wes Anderson movie, who is arguably the most auteur bait kind of director. And again, auteur, means like you know it's like it's french super unique like you could they have a way of doing things that's based in identity you, you, you can recognize it like tarantino would be his zany dialogue wes anderson is how he moves the camera and frames and things of that nature and you know there's a lot of different instances of this like i think tim burton and wes anderson are arguably among the most recognizable in their stylized their over stylized approach right and then you take that on animation, baby. We're getting wild. We're going 88 miles per hour. Oh, yeah. The one thing, uh, when the term auteur came to be, like, in the public lexicon, uh, it, was, it, was mostly a, yeah, it was mostly a way to uh, denote status um, and really? say, like, well, yeah, what, isn't that, like, because with Kubrick and uh, other people, um, it was basically used as a, as like a marketing term, like, oh, the auteur has made another film. That's how I feel, at least from my perspective as a... But it it does, in in spite of that, it does exist. Like, it is real. I mean, we both know that. Like, if I showed you... But you could say every director is an auteur in their own right. They are. Some more than others, though. I think what is important about this, because, like, yeah, every director has things that stick with them. But a lot of directors, they evolve over time, and they're a lot harder to recognize than others. If I showed you Wes Anderson for 30 seconds, Ryan, and you've never seen the movie, I feel like you would, having, you know, being someone who's familiar with Wes Anderson and everything like that, you would be like, is this a Wes Anderson film? Is this a Wes Anderson film? You, yeah, you that's the thing. Like, if, I showed you a, if I showed you an Ari Aster film, if I showed you a Greta Gerwig film, you might have an indication. You'd be like, oh, this is something that I've seen before with a certain director I really love. But some direct doesn't make them a better director. Again, I think Robert Eggers is one of the best directors out there, and he's a bit auteur in his dialogue methods. And there's my point is there's great fucking directors who are not as auteur, like Robert Zemeckis and you know and things of that nature. Like everyone has an element that sticks with them in their career. True. Some directors, every aspect though, every aspect from the dialogue to the editing to the blocking, like everything you're seeing screen is very much them well i think the auteur thing is it's mostly about how unique it's just a, it's just a way to describe how unique a director is from yeah, the main because with kubrick back in the day uh 
there was nothing like his movies. They're all so crazy and they're different. And it's kind of just like increased um, the ceiling for what's possible. And then other directors, uh, you know, got closer to matching that. Uh, like who would you say is super auteur? Because for me, it's hard to do, right? I mean, like I know a lot of different well, directors and like, look, I mean, like, look, like take it this way real quick, because like there's certain things that, like Steven Spielberg, a man with a lot of variety, you know, and within a 10 year jump in the nineties, we had the guy who was making last crusade in Jurassic park to Schindler's list and private Ryan. Well, real quick Spielberg is like, uh, I just lost it, but Spielberg is basically, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a, he's the industry standard is of like what a movie should be like. Well, yeah. With him and his filmmaking, I really noticed like, an auteur trait of Spielberg's directing is the surprised face. He always has things in his movies where he's so good at getting fear and intrigue and curiosity out of his actors, namely young actors, um, especially where he's so good at directing people where they're, they're in a close up shot and they have to look out of their mind perplexed. I mean, whether it's close encounters or Jurassic park and the Jeep or the Goonies or whatever the fuck, he's so good at doing that. Um, but then that's kind of harder to pick out, right? Whereas if I take Quentin Tarantino and you listen to a few minutes of banter from any of his movies, whether it's Christoph Waltz, you know, rattling on like three different language or if it's Samuel L. Jackson, you can just tell like, this is Tarantino. This is Tarantino dialogue. Yeah. And but- then you take it a step further with Burton and Wes Anderson. And you're like, holy fuck, no one makes movies like Tim Burton and no one makes movies like Wes Anderson. It doesn't mean that better directors are more talented filmmakers. I would say the, speak- the, the biggest thing about Wes Anderson, I personally feel like comes from his dialogue and how, uh, and how um, different it is from anything else. Like, do you remember the scene on the boat with uh, in Life Aquatic where they're getting... Where they're getting attacked by pirates, and it's just movie, right. That's his best movie, right? Like that's I'm totally biased because it's the his best movie is probably Isla Dogs or Grand Budapest. But come on, my favorite movie is Life Aquatic. <laughs> I would say the most consistent is definitely Budapest in terms of like if you if you're thinking of a, what a Wes Anderson film is, it's Budapest because the quality and the consistency of each scene is just so. I mean, it's not- it's, it's cons- awesome. for lack of a better term, it's consistent. Um, I like how you say that, but I, I still don't think that it's like washed out because some directors will see consistency and it gets boring, or it's like, ah, it's another Wes Anderson movie. Like, when you watch Grand Budapest, you're like, this is fucking awesome. <laughs> the part where the foe is up at the screen with his fists out, <laughs> he just punches the screen, right? That's what happens. You just throw my cat out the window? <laughs> He's crooked fuckers. I- um, that movie, that it, so but yeah, in terms of life dialogue. and all of them, I, I personally feel like the way that the characters speak and how like, it's not even close to real life. It, you know what? It's, uh, it kind of reminds me of like dollhouse, like, which is a term that's used for his movies a lot. Cause if you think about it, if you're playing with action figures, it's the same person speaking, just probably with a slightly different tone. Like in one hand, you're holding the a toy of like a hero, and then the other is like a villain, and you're like, "I'm you gonna seen... defeat you." And then there's like a pause. I know what you're saying in terms of like 
class it's a very classical i mean this is why his movies are filmic and kind of an, an homage to classic film like the grand budapest hotel whether it's like the the models and miniatures used in the chase scenes or the very badly acquired makeup for his nosebleeds these are all homages to old cinema but i mean let's take a film like isle of dogs right which is super juxtaposed because this is a film with talking dogs and it arguably has some of his most realistic and toned down dialogue it's a it's extremely human right which is ironic i mean when you hear brian i think that was probably the point of it whether he thought about it or not which you know my favorite quote from any director is taika watiti uh is a side a tangent but uh he he was being interviewed um by during adobe max and he was talking about how um he doesn't try to find meaning in his movies he just waits for other people to <laughs> he just waits for other people to find the meaning and then when they ask him about it he goes yeah that was the intention <laughs> like that's so funny i think it's true i think talk it's, about an affirmant well you know some directors don't do that some which directors i think tyke is like in my top five but that's we'll talk about that later i think it's great great for you he's not in my i don't i I don't like saying when people aren't in my top something because it makes it sound like they weren't worthy of making it. I just like if I, I, if I had a gun to my head, that's probably someone that I would pick, just because of how I feel that they're unique. What are your same directors? It's time to directors right now. Your mother's dead, Ryan. Your mother's, your mother's dead. dead. I was molded by it. But yeah, you adopted the dog. I was molded by it. It's one of the fucking doppers should the bottles of the I just, hate Bane. Um, I hate Bane too. But the way that Taika talks about movies or and, and the way he directs them and how all of his child actors knock it out of the park every time. Um and how it's he probably has the best reputation among child actors in terms of for the audience, in terms of Steven Spielberg ability. Him and Spielberg. But um the way well, how his movies me, mix comedy and drama and you know I just in real ways though in it, real ways it's I very mean, grounded. Like, um, you're feeling both at the same time. So there's other directors that do that. Like I think Tarantino is good at threading that needle. I think Paul Thomas Anderson, namely with Boogie Nights, well, yeah. really only only with Boogie Nights. He doesn't really do that in other movies. He uh, manages to do that where you're genre blending and, and yeah yeah there. There will, there will be blood is not have you laughing. Just fucking boogie nights. Well, I, at I the very I, end, I think you're, you're you're losing your mind along Daniel Plainview. But, I, drink uh, I drink it up every day. I, I just, I agree with you with everything you just said about Taika Waititi. You know what's really interesting about that? It's like our affirmation director we were talking about, Hayao Miyazaki, is 100% the opposite, and he's a mastermind as well. The, so I was reading about My Neighbor Totoro today. And I want to make it. a point to say that it's not just the director, it's the entire cast and crew. But yeah. Thank you for doing that. I, um, Miyazaki. We know about film, uh, the industry. So we grew up in Ohio. We're industry folk here. We've been yeah. doing it for years. Um, yeah. We've been doing it all year. Miyazaki. We almost interviewed Bruce Willis. So, you know, we have some clout. <laughs> but anyway, go back to Miyazaki. <laughs> Um, yeah, we've almost interviewed a lot of people. I, um, what's it called? Miyazaki, I was, I, I watched my neighbor Totoro, the big fucking Snorlax thing, whatever it's called, Totoro, Totoro. And, um, 
it was interesting because I was reading trivia on the film on IMDb, and there was about about the theories of the movie about how certain characters may be dead or alive or whatever. I don't want to get into spoilers of that film because even though it is a G-rated kids movie and it's extremely simple and I can summarize it in three sentences and it's a movie that is about the journey, not the destination, I do not want to spoil anything. And essentially what I'm getting to is Miyazaki came right out and said, no, that's not true. None of these theories are true. Only certain theories are true. And... Yeah, I think that's super interesting that like you have directors like Taika who are like let it be open to interpretation. You let have directors like Nolan who are like I want it to be open to interpretation. I'm trying to confuse people. You have directors like Tarantino who lets things really be ba- like it's like it depends on the viewer. Everyone's validated. Whereas Which I think is the best way, um, but it also can upset people. But you know whatever. What about Nolan? With the way how Tarantino, I don't want to talk about Nolan. I'll get mad. But uh, with Tarantino, it's just like it depends on the person. It's like, yeah, that's exactly what I mean. That's just the most amazing about being a film director, right? Is like, and everyone's different with their. I think it's arrogant uh, when. Sorry to interrupt, but I think it's arrogant when a director says, "This is my intention for the film, and this is what the meaning is." And I don't know if it's arrogant though. I don't know if I think it's opinion. I think it's prideful. Well, well, I I think think when a when a director is opposed to any other interpretation by anyone else. I, I think it's just arrogance. He made um, it though. It'd be like Tolkien. I mean, saying, it, like, it might be his interpretation of what the story is, but another person across it. the world might have a different viewpoint, which I, I think, think everyone's entitled to their own viewpoint and they are valid despite even some, like the theories I have in question about my neighbor Totoro. Again, a simple film that has some not simple theories about the characters in the movie. I still have, they're still validated to me just because, you know, what the director comes out and says, no, these are not true. This is not my intention. It doesn't well, mean the theory is valid. Well, I just think this is a director who's meticulous and he wants to come out and say, and it's a bit more common in Japanese culture to not let that kind of stuff fly. You see that more in the West than in, in, in Japan where he's going to say, no, this is why I created, this is what's happening. Now go ahead and theorize and think about my movie. I wonder, I, I wonder where that comes from. I, honor it comes from honor and honesty and pride i mean the japanese are very they're honor bound and they're prideful and they yeah. put blood sweat and tears into his project and he was like this is not open into interpretation there's hours and hours of thought behind every little thing in my movie so fuck you for saying otherwise and that doesn't make i think i mean it's, it is also arrogant of me to say that well another per, another one another person might have a different point of view um, but at the end of it, I think it's just, it can, it's everything. It could be his interpretation yeah. of the, the director's interpretation and the audience member's interpretation. It's multi, I, we, we've been learning that a lot in our convert. I feel like you and I have been having a lot of conversations lately where we find ourselves saying that we're, we're like, holy shit, look how much is in the middle of this Venn diagram, the gray area. Yeah. If you, the one thing, the one thing that I always uh, j- uh, jump back to is um, your neighbor or the person sitting next to you on the bus has a life that's com- might be similar, but could also be completely different from your own. And it's just as complicated uh, as yours. So, yeah. you know, it's like, you I just, just have to remember that. I mean, we can get into that. We've been talking a lot lately. I mean, we, we live, this is being recorded in 2020 and 
the end of November here, just before Thanksgiving. And uh, what a year it's been. I mean, AVHD started this year. Our, you know, we've done a lot of projects together. We did a film club together. But the pandemic occurred this year. There was, you know, the racial injustice, the election. There's just like so this year was wild. And we have, like anybody else, I think we had some really profound conversations about it, um, you know, an open end, just discussing things because we're reveling in this. We're living through this motion, if you will. And we often find ourselves at kind of a paradoxical standpoint where we can't really figure out where we started when we approach certain views and we analyze certain things. It's like we have, I'm not talking about our belief systems and things of that nature. It's more about analyzing the, the nature of the rhetoric surrounding the coronavirus or election conditioning in terms of politics and bucket tribal beliefs. And we just find that things are so gray and paradoxical and you can't easily define things as much as social media and media in general lead you to believe. Yeah, I was going to say. Things are human. The way social media. The way social media. We're not. We're alive. We're like Miyazaki. It's it's funny that you bring it up because the, the media makes you assume that it's one or the other. And in reality, it's, it's a lot of different things. I don't know why it's got to be us versus them, man. We all, look, well, man, we all just want to fucking, we all just want to get our nut and eat our bacon. <laughs> you know what I mean? Tur- turkey bacon. None of us, you- none of us are trying to do outlandish things. Look, there's like 20% on each side. You got crazy radical leftists and you got Nazis and KKK members. But then you got people on each side of the aisle excluding people that are boomers because fuck them you got people on each other they just want to help people people just want to fucking be sustainable and enjoy their life and granted there's mental health issues and there's fucking limited beliefs and there's religious conditioning and all this shit but at the end of the day we just want to get along it's just us versus us which is this paper that i that i'm writing us versus us it's us versus us it's it's literally about that with how it's a great title, Ryan. With it's like sixty percent of all of people in America. This is just exclusively about America because I can't really talk about um, other cultures <laughs> around the world. Yeah, I've only been to three countries in my life, so I'm I'm about, pretty well versed. Yeah, talk to me about racial injustice in the Congo, where you're really familiar with. Yeah, where I know all the intricacies of of the democratic like process there. Just, there. Uh, but the no another time um but the the, the important thing to remember is like roughly i'm just pulling it out of my ass but 60 percent of people are somewhere in the middle and then 20 percent are on either side you know 20 and 20 at 2020 full circle uh yeah but yeah like 60 percent are somewhere in the middle trying to figure out what's the truth and the truth is there's there's facts there's facts and false falsehoods on both sides and you just you know you got to pick what you think is right and um it's it's weird i I just just, and what is right though it sucks because i i just think what is more beneficial to your common man and woman what 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 is more beneficial for you and your mental health because like we all again this is what cracks about our tribal drop in one bucket or the other kind of mentalities in this country. <laughs> both stuck. sides suck. That's <laughs> just the reality. Yeah. Both, we both, we all suck. I just think it's interesting that at the end of the day, I want to get up and I want to be healthy 
I want to be sustainable. I want to reduce my stress and I want to have people that love me and I want to reciprocate that. I think that's a healthy way to go about life in the bare minimum vaguest sense if you have a soul. And absolutely most right. of us resonate with that, right? It's just we have different, there's different backgrounds, there's different cultures, there's different falsehoods of belief. There's, there, I mean, there's naivete, there's old, clinging on to old culture. It's just, we are America because we're a melting pot. And that is becoming a bad thing as well as a good thing. So far, it's, it's worked to our benefit, being this intermingling of, of cultures and identities. But right I now, I think it's creating tension because we are starting to become tribal with it and we are ceasing the belief of welcoming new. And I think reform, I think progression is natural, not just for America, but the human condition. And we talk about the arts and we talk about our film and we talk about being creative, the things that matter so much to us, much to us, game design, anything <laughs> that we're passionate about. Watch the watch. I sounded like fucking John Connery. I just, it's weird, it's weird to me that we have people that waste so much energy to silence others, to stop others, to to get mad about things they have no control over. You know, I know some people who are a bit backwards minded. I do. I mean, I, mean, I really do know some people who, I, they get so worked still... up and so upset talking about whether it's gay rights or whether it's Black Lives Matter. And I'm just like, look, man, I definitely not okay with you not agreeing with this and it triggers me and pisses me off and i think you're uneducated but beyond that why are you wasting the energy to get mad about it you're not at the protest you're not in a position of speaking about the protest you are you're in your little world you're in your life why don't you just love your family and love yourself and like you can fucking not agree with gay marriage and black people whatever i think you're a piece of shit but like just remember that it's gonna happen you could be a piece of shit with less stress because like to me like yeah, the energy that comes back into you is the energy you put out, man. Like, if you want to be a racist, whatever, but like, you're definitely not helping yourself. Like, and it's again, it's not whatever. I don't think you should be a racist. Racism is stupid and dumb. But I'm just you. You get what I'm. You get what I'm fucking saying. I think you yeah. get what I'm trying to say. I don't think what I'm doing prof- a good job at saying it. What a profound thought, Hunter. Twenty twenty. Racism is not cool. <laughs> I thought you were going to take that a different direction and be like, yeah, racism, you know, it's whatever. Uh, you know, I try to see the positive in things. But, yeah, I, man, it it's just the what really resonates with what you said to me is why. Why bother? Like, why spend all this effort complaining about something that's most likely inevitable? Uh, not only is it inevitable. And like, it's not, it's not a big deal because it's – like they're an American citizen, they should have as much rights and as the person next to them. I know, I know. We we know all this, but like I'm taking it a step further and take it from someone who really is old and they're not going to change, and they're super backwards in their beliefs from our point of view. Like whether it's about defunding Planned Parenthood or immigration laws or ICE or whatever the fuck they believe in. My point is that, and your point as well, I think, is like why are you even? I mean, again, I, I get it. Like, I know people who are like this. That's why I'm able to not empathize with them. But I see, like, in their mind, they think they're right, and they think their beliefs are being tampered with, or they feel like, like their walls are coming in on them because they have profound principles that are outdated, but they're, they're principles they were raised on, and they're being challenged and reformed. That makes them uncomfortable. But their response is not to reflect and to analyze and to see why that is happening or to maybe put themselves in someone else's shoes. It is to get angry, and not only angry, but to say terrible things about other people. And I'm like, dude... 
the things you're spewing and puking on a social media and to your friends at fucking work or to your families or God forbid your fucking kids are because you're angry. We had a talk and, and a, sorry, we had a, no, no, a conversation no. in my Zoom meeting with my class uh, and we were talking about how um, it's ridiculous to think that you would lose the relationship with your children over the yeah. fact that you don't agree with their lifestyle. Um, Which is, and I that's mean, a broad statement, but if you talk so, about yeah. like their, their, their preferences on who they want to date or marry yeah. potentially, it's just like why you're losing your own blood because you just don't, you're not totally on board with what they, what I, they are. It's funny Which is, because a lot of it is like, I think religion is mo- more often than not the cause of that i mean i'm sure there's a bunch of different factors but like why is some where does homophobia derive from if not religion like when is someone ever giving a fuck if not for the i mean this is right or wrong it's so far down the pipeline that it probably is not it's probably not even from religion it's just what they know so it's like their parents say like oh yeah uh you're not allowed to be gay in this household or i'll kick you out and they take that along when they have kids and then um there's also, they get made, there's also generational gaps like there's the actual legit homophobes you and, know and, then and cultural like, viewpoint think, of being gay too like i'm sure like when we, like we when you were not we were when you were little uh yeah i mean when you and i were little i'm sure like as little little boys we talked about like being gay is stupid and we call each other gay and oh my god it's all negative and so the word, the word gay has a negative connotation it's like well yeah and not only that it's just the fact that we grew up in a weird stupid toxic masculine era look this is the thing this yeah being culture, gay was used for humor it's like this this culture has not existed forever guys and there's a lot of i know like i'm glad it exists now but we got to realize that like this was an adjustment it wasn't like everyone was down with being gay and pretending they hated it. No, no, no. People were really uneducated about it. People thought it was a job until 2013. People were like, yeah, it's just a choice. It's an attention thing. It's a mental health thing. It's like, and frankly, who the fuck knows what it is? It doesn't matter. Sexuality is a spectrum. Gender is a construct. Word, mic drop. But my point is when we were growing up, when you and I, Ryan, were growing up, I mean, I remember my dad saying, like, <laughs> you ever go gay, I'll kill you. You know, he wouldn't say that now. <laughs> like, yeah, my- I mean, it's like it's funny because i remember it's like, my dad we, telling me that when i was like uh probably like seven or eight and i'm like i don't even know what girls are at that point you know it's like but nowadays and then when i was like 17 or 18 and i hadn't had a girlfriend in like a year or two they were like my parents both talked no. to me and they were like no if if you're you're gay we'll still love you it's like, oh, Wait. you'll still love me? <laughs> it's like, oh, what a fucking Gen- statement. generation is our parents? What do we call them? They're not boomers. What are they? Are uh, they they're old. Are they- they're old age millennial. I don't know. Pre-millennial? Is, I don't know. My parents are similar to this, too. When I started painting my nails, my parents sat me down at dinner and had like a very serious conversation. Said, we want to just, is everything okay? Like, is there something you want to tell us? And I was like, holy fuck, you guys think I'm gay because I paint my nails? I'm like, Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm like, thank God I'm not gay because having to come out to my parents would be the biggest pain in the fucking ass, I gotta say. Jesus Christ. My, what a headache. It's just, for, what a it's headache funny, for, for people me, that, that all, are I think gay. this all derives from toxic masculinity and things of that nature. And again, gender construct, which Gen Z is doing a beautiful job of really just kicking the fuck down like the fucking... 
That's the other thing I want to talk about is the like culturally coming out is a huge significant thing. And I'm glad it is because it, it it provides all these, like it provides just a huge wave of relief from how I understand it it, for for people that are gay. And earned this fucking moment. Yeah. You, that's, that's a good way to put it. You earned it. And cause you've been going as a young kid, you're like going through all of this, like, I think we're not going to see these moments anymore as we move forward into a more woke society. Well, I I think it's more like, I can't believe that that is a thing. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm glad that it exists because it does help. But the fact, the fact that culturally it's, it's a significant moment in a gay person's life. It's, uh, I think it's stupid that we have to have these. I'm being pessimistic about it, but it's, you're not being pessimistic about it. I think you're being the opposite of pessimistic. I think you're being optimistic about it because in my point of view, I wish a kid could just be whatever the fuck. Like sexuality yeah. is a spectrum and why do we have to be locked in? Like it cracks me up that like I know some people who have gone through journeys of discovering their sexuality and they, you know. I had a best friend when I was little that came out to me as gay. And, and then he could come back. My point yeah, I'm saying is he could later say I'm straight His parents basically disowned him. He had it. He came out to like his friends, but he like hid it from his parents, and then he eventually got disowned. And it just I don't know why so it shitty. matters so much. Why do we? Why do we actually care? Like the person's not different. If they were always this way, yeah, that's the thing. They're not any different, but people think that they are. Like, I don't know. I, mean, I think the pro- the people that the people that matter, quote unquote, are the ones that you know. Let's talk. Let's have a homophobe on the show and fucking pick their brain. Because seriously, no, seriously, what the fuck? This is. I mean, it doesn't this make is, sense. My, my They'll probably use like statistics and bullshit. Like we and racism will never make sense. What we can analyze and can have a discussion about is the effort and energy spent on such beliefs. Like people who are yeah. homophobic, I'm like, look, look, pull it back to the conversation. Right, it's... If, you do not, if you do not wish to get comfortable with your own sexuality, you can't break out of your old cultural norms. If you, if you're for, I mean, some people are just uncomfortable with it. I know some people who are not homophobic per se, but they're like, I don't know. I mean, it just weirds me out seeing people kissing on each other. Like public display of affection is weird. And for some reason it weirds me out more when it's two dudes. Cause I'm not used to being around that. I'm like, I get that. Like that, that sounds a bit, that's like low key homophobic, but like, at least you have like, you're trying to come at it from a not hateful position. This is what yeah. baffles me. This is what baffles me again is the energy spent, the amount of time yeah. and the yeah. amount of bridge burning you will do just because of a belief system you have, like it, it means that much to you, like really. And most of the time, people are getting this angry over. Oh, hello, milk's here. Most of the time, people. That was are forty-five getting, minutes, by the way. Oh, nice. Hello. Yeah. Most of the time, people are getting this angry over complete strangers that they don't know, or like to your point, like things are going to continue going on regardless, and it's like. We can get really serious and talk about how, like, getting rid of abortion won't get rid of abortion. It just gets rid of safe abortion. Or we can talk about just right. mental health and how protesting people who want to fuck whoever they want <laughs> and marry whoever they want, your anger is not going to make a difference. If anything, it's going to make you feel worse. At the it's end of the worse it's going to make your relationships worse because you're putting out bad energy man you're not being a good human being come to texas handlebar mustache come to texas handlebar mustache for real like what the fuck i don't understand why people waste so much time being angry like dude i used to be yeah such i mean it, it 
in their defense, we're also getting angry about them getting angry, but it's a different no, type I'm of angry. I'm passionate. I'm not angry That's about angry. That's passionate. Me, me yeah. getting angry at me. No, I'm angry I, at him. Sometimes I get tri- – no, I'm angry. I'm pissed. I'm fucking No, pissed. I want to be angry. I want to be mad. That's just my natural state. I'm, I'm fucking pissed. Dude. I'm I fucking pissed, man. I, them fucking gays need to get the right to marry, man. I'm fucking stupid. I'm sick of it, bro. I got to say, yeah. man, I just want to have a medal. <laughs> Can someone just give me a medal? This is so off topic. Don't this is this. seriously for so what? off topic. You, I don't know for anything, dude. I want a medal. No, like, this is so off topic. I just want a medal for something. I want someone to come to me in my house you know, to come to the front door and dun, 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 hello, I'm knocking on the door. Hunter Burris, hello, here's your medal. And I would accept it. <laughs> and I would wear it around everywhere. I'd wear my medal and I'd ask people to sign my medal that I need. And one day I would donate that medal. Yeah. Don't you think society should give out more medals? Let's give out more medals. No, don't be a millennial. Just, just, no. You don't need oh, a medal. Talking about tro- you mean that trophy kit thing where everyone Participation. No, I'm not yeah, talking about that. I'm not no, talking about it. I want a medal. What the fuck, medals, dude? Medals don't do shit. You trying to you didn't blow up the Death Star. What are you get out of here? Look, the reason I started thinking about this all of a sudden is because last night I was playing Among Us this game and we were playing. Yeah, they're, called, like, they're called trophies and achievements. Get a couple more. That's what I'm talking. I was like, guys, I wish you could earn trophies and achievements in Among Us. And if you did, your little character could get a cute little medal and you could like wear them in the matches and other people could see how like many medals you have on, like ribbons and shit. Wouldn't that be great? Everyone in my lobby. Was well, like, then you'd look like a, uh, a totalitarian. <laughs> you'd look like a dictator. Totalitarian? No, I'd look like Michael Phelps, dog. No, like you'd look like a dictator where they wear the, you know, they wear the military uh, uniform Funny. and they have like 600 medals on their chest. Right, well, you're um, my fucking, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, but it, this is pessimism versus optimism. I just I this is Fidel Castro. I was just thinking how yeah. my cute little ass. I want my cute I, little ass. Not Ryan Fick, 2020. Know. Hunter Burris is Fidel Castro. <laughs> yeah, I think that's going to be the title of the first episode. Uh, Ryan interviews Fidel. And have this picture of me with this crazy mustache. Just say, yeah. so for the audio listeners out there, which is probably our only listeners. I don't think 100, yeah, 101%. Can you, can you describe what I look like right now? Like, I, I, I today, are you, you can, how about you just describe everything? Say what I did today and see what it looks like. <laughs> okay, well, right now you look like um, a school shooter yeah, giving his manifesto. Holy shit. Okay, never mind. I look like a school shooter. No, you don't look like a school shooter, but you look like some, I don't know, you look like someone that's giving their manifesto. Like no, let me ever. let me roll that back. You look like Bane giving his manifesto. I'm going to take the reins. I look like Dr. Eggman. No, I'm, I'm, no, no, you're drunk in the backseat and I'm holding the reins. You know, Santa Claus is coming to town. So, you know, I got to take, you know, I got to yeah, ease the burden. Down, he's immune to COVID. See that Dr. Fauci or whatever his name is? What's his name? That's so, that's cute. I love that. He, he he said Santa's immune to COVID. You know what I? You know what my first thought was? Shoot down Santa. <laughs> get the fucking get the cure out of his blood yes. and harvest. No, Santa's yes. Or- Santa's immune. Santa's immune to COVID, but he's not immune to the gun. 
Hannah's not immune to Hannah. Who's Hannah? Santa's not immune to this missile, baby. And we're going to harvest the COVID-19 vaccine from yeah. his cold, dead claw paws. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Uh, it's anyway, we should cut Santa Claus open if I'm not being clear and take his blood and use it to study for, in, you know, reverse engineer a vaccine. Um, Ryan and Hunter commit fucking felony. I would. You wouldn't kill Santa Claus for the vaccine. Would you yeah. kill someone for the if it meant curing all of the rest of man, mankind? I guess that's a no brainer. Right? I, I could. I would. His whole life sacred. It's a gray area. No one's gray area. It's a gray area. I'm gonna say no. One or, one or the other. Like well, yeah. You, I mean, if you well, look it's at like it, the trolley. It's like the runaway trolley of like it is. Yeah. You got one baby who's on the rails, and then you could turn the lever and make the runaway trolley go down another set of tracks, but there's two adults on that track. So do you kill these two people who've lived their life but don't deserve to die, or do we kill the baby who hasn't lived enough life but might not deserve to die? And we could get even simpler than that. Well, the scenario scenario that you described um, would – it infers that – if you pull the switch, you have you have acted on on the trolley, so you are directly responsible for the death of you know if it's five if it's five versus one, but you pull it and it, you you kill one, you're you're uh, lawfully you're a, murderer, uh, you're a murderer either way. It's just like which one would you rather? No, well, no. If if you don't pull it, you're just a bystander at that point. I believe. Okay. Someone's gonna die either way. <laughs> yeah, someone's gonna die. I mean, which well, one? I mean, I'm I'm butchering I mean, this. There's a better. There's a different trolley. We learned this in like tenth grade. I don't remember the full story. Tenth grade, like well, yeah, it's a trolley, and you it's a trolley, and it won't stop. The brakes don't work. It's, it makes you it, choose two unideal solutions with different moral outcomes. Well, yeah, you either you either acknowledge that you didn't do anything and five people die or you have a direct involvement in the scenario and you kill one person i feel like that's better because either way it's on your conscience in that scenario you you would you should pull the lever to kill one person every time i'd rather because, not have to go to, because go to one in this because well here's the thing in the scenario you are looking you have time to decide Am I going to let five people die or am I going to kill one person? Like, am I going to let five people die to save one person or am I going to intentionally kill one person to let five people live? It's like, this is well, than me. I just, all I know is this. I would harvest Santa's vaccine from his cold, dead hands. Yeah. I, I would give uh, Mrs. Claus a fruit basket and then I'd visit her, you know. Mrs. Claus, Mrs. Claus has some. Uh, she, has got an ass. So really, I bet she's got a juicy dumper. Yeah, Santa's in. Santa's an ass guy. Oh, hundred percent. He sits Santa, all the time, eats cookies. It's, Santa Claus likes an ass. Yeah, he. More. We went. We've been all over the place. I want to talk about Miyazaki. <laughs> yeah, we went from Miyazaki to um, gay rights. To uh, we had a I murdering Santa. 
We had a profound conversation, I think. Yeah, somewhere along the lines, we said some valuable shit. We should start doing for our viewers. This is what a lot of people that I admire that do this kind of work do. Let's just take like Aaron Hansen and um, Dan Abidon, for example, from Game Grumps. They, most of their conversations are recorded. So like, because me and you, Ryan, you and I are sometimes more on than off. And it sucks to limit production day to just like one day and just be like, oh, it's on or off. We're going to do one episode a week or so. It's just, I don't even know what I'm saying. I'm not making a point. It's just, I wish we had a way to record all of our conversations. We have profound conversations all the time, usually about games. That's usually what it's about, video games. But lately, with the world just being in chaos, I feel like we've been discussing a lot of like philosophical topics. And Yeah, I mean, it's on everybody's mind. I don't want to talk about the, the election and and stuff. I, I you know. Yeah. This is supposed to be a film podcast. Yeah, I'm. I, you know, we've Wait, everyone's heard about, enough of it. You know, I I don't want to like. I just think we should talk about games and movies and things we like. You know, like, let's get back to just stuff we're passionate about and stuff that instead of stuff that we were forced to be passionate about. You know, it's so true. That's a great way to put it. We're passionate about things, but this stuff we were really we had to be passionate about. I mean, granted, no, I and like, but yeah, dude, in like middle school and high school when Obama was being was president like i thought i knew what i knew about politics and like you know i was a fucking 13 year old kid or whatever the shit so it's like i didn't know i didn't know anything and neither did my friends but we we talked like we did and nowadays i still don't know what the fuck i'm talking about but at least i can cite sources some technical and i have you know i have a better grasp on life a little bit so yeah. you know, it's you went so, out there. You cut out there for a few minutes, and I was like, "You've got some technical difficulties, dude." I was saying some profound shit, bro. But yeah, yeah. I heard what you said because like caught up in the end. So we'll just use your audio for that. But yeah, I agree with you. This was it's interesting because I think a genuine podcast should be on what what's on people's minds, and really, we're living in this vacuum of a of chaos. Um, yeah, but and COVID doesn't help, and it's it sucks. It all, we yeah. love to talk about Nintendo and game design yeah. in general, and the history and preservation of games, and how good Super Metroid is, and Dark Souls, and Breath of the Wild. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, yeah, Galaga. I mean, Galaga. Can we talk about Galaga? Galaga's fun. Do you like Galaga? It's my mom's favorite game. <laughs> It's your mom's favorite game. Yeah, when she was little, she used to play Miss Pac. She used to go to arcades and chill. Miss Pac better than Pac-Man. It's true. Um, all right, everybody. Uh, we're going to end it right there. Next week, uh, look forward to us talking about the Holocaust. Uh, okay, see you, everybody. We're talk about Galaga more. Yeah, we'll probably talk about Galaga, too. We should probably... So, was this going on YouTube on the for now on the AVHD channel, which might have... What the... F- We're just going to... Just put it on Gallagher. Spotify. I don't know. Gallagher. That's so loud. I can't hear. Gallagher. We gonna, um, we're going to upload this somewhere, and you got to find it. We're just going to put it on Spotify, I think. And we should just, start making ciphers. The, if like, we just keep uploading every week, the algorithm, the 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 algorithm will notice will notice that like, hey, these 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 fucking chuckle fucks are uh, uploading stuff. We should pretty good at what they do. We should add it to the algorithm. So it's just a it's just a process. It'll probably take like twenty years before we have a hundred viewers. But you know, 
it's whatever. And we're usually going to – look, we're going to talk about whatever we're passionate about because we're passionate people and we're pretty crazy. But more often than not, what would you say you and I usually talk about? I feel like it is – like more often than not, it's usually about video games. I would Let's say. talk about like, life, love, and the pursuit of the perfect Mario game, yeah. which there is none. So it's probably just sunshine if we had to pick one. Hunter agrees with me. So I think we're going to end it there. Um um yeah we can end it right there melee is the best smash we can just say that and that's fine dude i started playing it and uh it feels so heavy i know it's weird being the fastest smash and how heavy it feels compared to ultimate because to be fast at melee you have to play differently than you play yeah i was playing falco and doing i could i could not for the life of me do short i could not do short uh down airs short hopping down airs with falco to save my life I love Captain Falcon, man. He's the best. Falcon, he's the he's the people's champ. So, yeah. everything about him. He, he's the. I think as our this is our post show, Captain Falcon's the coolest character in Super Smash Brothers, right? Him or easily, Mewtwo? easily. But but in Melee, Mewtwo was the coolest cat. Literally, Mewtwo. No, I think it's. Cat. I think it's Falco, honestly. Even and then in the, every other game since, he's gotten worse and worse. Falco. Falco. Yeah, Falco. Falco was so cool in Melee. I mean, in Melee, it's different because when you unlocked Mewtwo, and, like, back then, that was right around that movie, you know, the Pokemon first movie, and, like, having the same voice actor and, like, the, <laughs> like how badass yeah. Mewtwo was. And when you Melee. unlocked him and you're like, oh, shit, I recognize that silhouette because I'm a fucking product of the 90s. Yeah, early 2000s. That was, that was cooler than Falco and Captain Falcon. Captain Falcon sure. initially made it because then in Brawl, Meta Knight was the coolest. You this cool, badass Kirby character who's super. He was cool the only character that played like a melee character. He busted. But I think it all became clear in retrospect that Captain Falcon's the coolest, especially in that amazing trailer for Super Smash Brothers for the Wii U, where he's just kicking the shit out of all the. Yeah, he's like, like a villain. <laughs> yeah. But uh, okay, so do you have any? Can... Do you have any no. closing remarks? Any thoughts to cap yes. off the, sh- the first I episode? Guess, you know, be good to your fellow. I mean, let's based on what we talked about. Just it's a lot easier to love than to hate. Be safe. Respect other people, especially right now when it's it really matters for the sake of other people's health. And honestly, watch Miyazaki movies, uh, which is Studio Ghibli. You can watch it for free with an HBO Max subscription, and they do 30-day free trials. So I highly recommend watching those. Something we did not get into, which I want to get into next week, is subs versus dubs when it comes yeah, to we, we, yeah, we, we had to talk about Full that disclosure, today. we have it in our notes about what we should talk about just so we remind ourselves, and we didn't get into it at all. We were going to talk about the logos for the show. We were going to talk about the name of the show and we were going to talk about subs and dubs. So this will be like either episode one, technically, even though we have like eight. It's episode one. I've decided I'm putting the cap on that discussion. Okay. I want to say, cause we have like 10 other episodes in the wild from previous work we've done, or this could be pre-show, but it's just episode one. Fuck it. So episode two, I want to really make sure we touch on what we're going to call this show, why we decided to get back into this show moving to Austin, Texas, why Texas is so appealing to both of us technically, but I'm the only one here right now. And 
I really want to, you know, that sub versus dub argument. I have a lot of thoughts that I kind of conjured together on that. Do you have any closing thoughts? I know you had some things on your mind for this look for this episode. Do you really want to talk um, about after after the recording this? I want to uh, just figure out what the show is organically and the logo and the the title of the of the episode of the show is just going to come organically and we'll figure it out along the way. See, you're going you're gonna to show me, you're going to show me. All right. Yeah. We're going to, it'll, it'll come naturally um, because that's the best way to, uh, to, to create, <laughs> be creative. It's just find what works. Um, but yeah. Hey, for next week, do you want to take a stance? Do you want to try to make an argument? Uh, Pick a side, basically. We're like, you pick subs, and, and then I'll pick dubs, and we'll try and defend each other's arguments. We're both going to pick sub. The only thing that's interesting is that... But I, I you know, I could try and find reasons why. Well... Try and be uh, antagonistic about it. I don't know it. if we should do that, because you and I are, we very much do live in that gray area, and I think we have better conversations where we don't have to double down and take a side just for the sake of taking a side. So I think, I think we we'll, we'll, where it works. we'll do a little bit of both. Because yeah. we'll be like, you know, subs or blah, blah, blah. But dubs are also blah, blah, blah. We're going to familiarize ourselves with Studio Ghibli because I think they managed to do sub and dub in a very, you know, a good manner um, when it comes to the acting capacity and capabilities and the writing and the localization. Yeah, I mean, in terms of dubs, it, they're probably some of the best, you know? Yeah, usually yeah. I fucking do dubs. Usually I have a much better experience, like, with most anime watching it that way so that'd be i think that would be an interesting topic for next week and then we really should do what we meant to do today this became a conversation of philosophy and politics and you know squidward tentacles and that's fine i think that's what's so great about us is that we can talk about whatever the fuck we want so yeah just whatever comes to our mind is what we really want to focus on we or also lack, have, or lack we thereof have, we have some special people that are going to be coming on the show i mean we have Right now we're in the mix. I don't want to officially announce anything, but we're, we have some pretty cool friends that have done some amazing work in creative fields that work that I really respect and that Ryan really respects. And we're going to have them on the show in the coming weeks to talk to them. Some returning people possibly will be back as well um, that we respect and love friends of the show. And yeah, we'll eventually have some of our friends on here to join the chat with us and add to the dialogue. I think that's good for the chemistry and, you know, that's in general, cool. though, just look forward to um, two idiots talking about yeah. dumb stuff. All right. Well, uh, I got to finish writing a paper. So, uh, all right. Uh, see ya. Bye, guys. All right. There we go.